Hey, Jay. Hey, Tyler. How you doing today? I'm pretty good, but oh, my, my, my little window on the Zoom call is smaller than I thought it would be. Yeah, I actually feel a lot more protected than usual. I feel like if anyone comes in and wants to pick fights with us, that we will be safe. Yeah. Because uh, my bodyguard is here with us. <laughs> so uh, uh, who is this Who is this giant person who will protect us from evil? Uh, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Carl Anderson. Oh, wow. Yeah, so a, it's a face, face made for radio. Face made for radio. <laughs> no, our... Uh, well, one of my be- my favorite people in the world, Carl Anderson, is here with us uh, of New Wilmington fame, of other fame, of uh, system failure fame for all those uh, deep cut. <laughs> very, very deep cut, hardcore early Midwest fans. industrial <laughs> uh, Christian music. Was that, was that Christian music? Uh, sure. Just, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so all you system failure fans, we finally got them. The, uh, just to clarify, that was played- the name of the band, System Failure? Yeah. Of course, it yep. was old yeah, enough he, that I I actually wasn't on anything they recorded. I was gone by the time they started recording. Oh, you were the OG. <laughs> nice. You were yes. the you were the Pete Best of uh, of System Failure. I, you played I was, the industrial drum, right? I was the sessions guy. Yeah, the oil drum. Is that what you played? <laughs> I did play an oil drum with a baseball bat. Yes, nice. I smashed two this baseball makes, bats. Oh man, I really uh, <laughs> I. I wish that. Do you have any recordings from when you were part of the band? Uh, that that's a great question. We think there might be a VHS tape out there somewhere. Again, this is this is old. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there might be a, uh, there might be a recording out there. But uh, uh, all I have is photographs. Oh, that's delightful. And memories. Only, the memories yeah. last forever. Well, and the real music actually can't be captured. So I think we know the answer to your question of which live band should we travel back in time to see. Uh, but first, before we get to that, I have a really good question. Uh, I need to think of how to phrase it. Okay, so here is um, what is – it's a twofold question. So the first part of it is what is a band that you were real big into uh, when you were in high school that you now – maybe not embarrassed by – but when you listen to it now and you think, why did I listen to this? So it's not a guilty pleasure kind of thing. It's not like I want to hide the fact that I like Barry Manilow or something like that. You don't you don't necessarily have to be ashamed of it. But it's certainly a band now that you would not want to listen to for very long. But you were like way in. You were all in. And I can go first. Uh, and I know that Carl will have a visceral reaction to this because we talked about it before. I was way into a band called 311. When I was in, yes, when I was in high school, <laughs> middle school and high school, three eleven was a bunch of white guys and I think maybe one Hispanic guy uh, who maybe. did maybe reggae rap. <laughs> they were from Omaha, Nebraska, uh, and Carl has a genuine reaction to him too. Because where did you grow up, Carl? I'm from Omaha, somewhere uh, <laughs> Middle America. They they they've been haunting me. They were about the same age, so yeah. they were the local come up band in high school when I was in high school, and they made it to the college right before I got to college, and then they hit big as I was graduating. So I was like, Ugh. "Did you in System Failure battle of the bands with 311? That would be no battle. We'd get torched. <laughs> you had a baseball bat. I, yeah. I see them pop up every now and again. 311 with a new album, and I go, "Oh, I should. Nah, never mind." Yeah, they regular. So 311. I mean, it really is. It's one of those bands that I feel like either you're like, oh yeah, 311, or you've never heard of them before. There's no yeah. kind of casual familiarity. Other than the fact that they, in the mid-90s, they had a record that got 
four or five songs really played on the radio. Yeah. Um, and I can't even remember what was their uh, oh. down. Down and, and all mixed up. All mixed up was the big one, and that was like 1996 or something like that. Yeah. And uh, so that was their MTV hit that people and so they're almost a one-hit wonder, but they're from that weird area that even the people knew that they've got a lot of albums and, and a big fan base, but they only have a couple radio songs. So there's people who know all their albums and then people who know All Mixed Up and then people who have never heard of 311. But they're also one of those bands, which a lot of 90s bands are right now, that will have cruises. Oh, so really? Like, yeah, like regularly. Well, like probably not right thing. now. Uh, I don't know. Probably, I mean, who knows? The 311 fans, they're slightly, it's like a, a, a upper class uh, juggalo, basically. <laughs> I, I think what you're throwing out there is that they're probably one of those that's quarantined off the shore somewhere. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the prayers uh, of a grateful nation have been answered. Yeah. And so quarantined was, for nothing corona related. Yeah. Uh, I had some friends that uh, my kind of normal hookup music friends, we talked about this in the past, so like especially when we were growing up, that you found your music by people, people giving you music. Uh, I loved getting music from people. I loved being that person for people. Um, and it used to come in the form of tapes, often mixtapes or just like dub tapes. And then it came in the form of like sharing MP3s, uh, either via, uh, I liked to like dump it, like give them a flash drive. It's like, here's all these songs. Uh, someone I know gave me all the Crowder band stuff that way. And that made me very excited. Uh, and he was, he was the, the, uh, baseball baddest from the <laughs> system failure. <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, 311, their first three records are really good from an era of an era yeah i mean there it's it's the best of what you're gonna get from that so this is the early kind of like rap rock hybrid but again with reggae music um i didn't really listen past they had a record called transistor which is like their posts mtv fame and i didn't really listen past that and i don't and even listen now like yeah i remember i loved this but i could also not i could I'm not sure I would recommend it to anyone because I can't justify why anyone should like it. Uh, but but I enjoyed it, and I'm not ashamed of it. But yeah, that's 311. I think they're called 311 because that's the criminal code for possession of marijuana, and they they thought they were super subtle. Or drunken disorderly conduct. Yes, yeah, one like of those. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure that they they endorse both, so either one <laughs> would work. Carl, who would you be embarrassed by? I, I have one. I just. I'm not ready to admit it yet. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the the one that I would probably avoid talking with my kids about, I was introduced to NWA at an early age. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so I, That's like, a I whole listen, different category, though, just not, not wanting to talk to your kids about it. Yeah, I listen to a lot of hip-hop, so I don't, I don't know if I would necessarily be embarrassed. I mean, the ones that, the ones that come across, my youth pastor was super into introducing us to stuff. Uh, I mean, so they're like a couple early era, like Christian, um, but I don't know if anything was on regular repeat. I mean, I, I, I look back and not like I have this great pretentious music past that I'm hooray for me. I just like the hip hop that I listened to was the good stuff and the Christian music was, it is what it is. I mean, it's just well, bad, answer this question. bad knockoff would you, music. Would you even care if they labeled you a Jesus freak? I, I would own that. I, like, I'm good with that. Like, that DC Talk album, I'm good with. Yeah. Like, that felt one. like they were hitting their stride back. And I, I wasn't... I mean, my uncle bought me 
uh, one of the things I like to talk about, my uncle bought me Ultimate Christian Rap Volume 2 for Christmas one year. Um, the sequel still, is always better than the original. Yeah, I'm still yeah, of the mindset the there, was n- back. there was no original version. There was no <laughs> Volume 1. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, every now and again, like a couple songs from that pop into my mind. I'm like, oh, what's just happening? But let's have a moment of silence for that era. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to, like, very much in a in an appreciative, thankful way that that um, I have um, long I mean, and both on this podcast and in my life been a critic of Christian music. Um, uh, just because generally I think musically it's not good. I like the I appreciate the earnestness of the message, uh, but if the container it comes in is bad, like if you give me milk in a paper bag, I don't care how good the milk is, it's not going to help. And and I feel like Christian music is often milk in a paper bag. Until I went to seminary and met Mr. Carl Anderson, and he uh, like opened the door to like genuinely good Christian music. Well, I was um, gonna say, I think, I think, Carl, you were the the origin point for my and thusly my youth group's love of an artist by the name of Peabod. Yes. Uh, oh man, Peabod. <laughs> we we interviewed him on our little youth group podcast. I don't know That's if I rad. told you that. It was uh, he's he's a sweet guy, but he writes some good music, man. He does some, some good really stuff. Good music. It, it, he has no business being as good as he is for <laughs> he really all doesn't. for, he really for everything on the CV. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was. He's a white guy who's like 22, who was a folk musician, son of a preacher, and then suddenly had this hip hop album that where every track is brilliant. Yeah, like it's and hard we, to not listen to. It really is. And we were uh, the way you introduced it to us. We were running the middle school program at the Wilmington Mission Conference, and every day we would show up with Ed Sitter was was the speaker that week, and so we'd walk in, and Carl just always had music going, and he like it was like this like really awesome uh, hip hop track. And we're like, what is this? And he's like, is this guy Peabod? And then the next day we come in, a totally different track. And we're like, who's this guy now? He's like, it's Peabod. We come in <laughs> a completely different track the next day. Who's this guy? It's Peabod. Like we couldn't, everyone was so consistently awesome that we couldn't believe that it was this guy who he made this record just for fun. Mm-hmm. This was not his main emphasis in music. He was just like, well, I also like rap music, so I'll make this for my friends. And then it just became so interesting that... Well, and the subject matter was probably as consistent as you would hope. Like, there's no, there was, there was no faking any uh, hard life or anything like that. It's like, hey, if I'm going to rap about having a nice binder, I'll rap about my nice binder and just put a reasonable flow and good beats, and it was infectious. Ed Sutter, when we interviewed him, said that he had the best interview question for Peabod's personality, and I was like, I can't wait. And the opening question was, what character are you in Smash Brothers on Nintendo 64? And I was like, that that's perfect. it. That's exactly right. That era of childhood. That's a good question in general. What? So uh, what question? What uh, character are you, Jay, in Smash Bros? Usually I'm Darth Link uh, because I suck at that game. You, you can you play with Link and then turn him like the black character with the glowing yeah. red eyes. Yeah. Uh, and, and I figure if I'm going to be as bad as I am at that, I Just should look, cool. look intimidating on yeah. my way off the cliff. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, Carl, do you have a? Uh, do you play much Smash Bros? Nope. Hmm. Well, who's your? Who's your? Then this here's a better one. Who's your Mario Kart character? Oh yeah. You don't have a go-to Mario Kart? Nope. What? <laughs> okay. The well, youth pastors are, so, are stunned. <laughs> so here, it, it all it all goes down to in high school. I had some friends that were into Madden, and again, I'm old, so. 
It was old Madden. You're not that old. I'm old enough video game world. Like, technologically, I'm old. So they That's were you. playing... But you were a youth pastor. They were playing Madden, and, uh, like, I just got smoked. Like, it wasn't <laughs> even fun. Uh, and I was mad. Like, I, we were all athletes, and I was like, well, let's go out and play real stuff. Like, let's do real stuff. And it just... it. I got bitter about video games, so it stays with me. Well, my character for Smash Bros. is always Captain Falcon because mm. he has the best taunt. But it's not like he's actually really good with the punches, but his taunt is he just goes, "Show me your moves," and he like points <laughs> his finger up in the in the air. So I just stand on, especially when there's a big melee going on and there's like six different people playing. I just stand on the corner of the thing and just keep going, "Show me your moves, show me your moves," and then that, someone will kind of. That sounds back, like you know? the most Tyler thing ever. To oh, it's sit it's in the, the most corner. Tyler thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not even camping. I'm just will letting everybody else kill themselves because I'm not very good at it. Uh, and then my uh, Mario Kart racer is always Donkey Kong. Mm. He's 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 big, and so you can run into people, and he's fast. I'm a Diddy Kong guy myself. And to go back to the original question, I don't know. I think it was how you phrased it. Uh, you said, "What's a band that you were real big into in high school?" Man, I I listened to Real Big Fish. Like they were going out of business. You were real and big into real big fish. I was real big into real big fish. But would you be embarrassed about that now, though? A little. I mean, like in the world of ska, they're not good ska. <laughs> That's like saying there's not good fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ska is like it. It's it really is candy. There's bad candy, but all of it's okay. It's okay. But yeah. I'd, if I'm gonna listen to ska, I'd rather listen to like the Toasters or, or Mustard Plug or something like that. Not real big fish. See, Tyler, Tyler's reference earlier to uh, Milk in a Bag had me thinking about Five Iron Frenzy. I oh, love and, Five and Iron Frenzy. And they're owed to O Canada. I forget. Is Canada bags of milk? Mm-hmm. You have to go there to get Milk in a Bag. Oh, yeah. It's like plastic, though, right? <laughs> They've been teasing. Five Iron Frenzy's been teasing a new album, and I'm very excited. I was. Uh, I made it through the first round uh, of cuts for uh, to, to possibly be on staff at Scum of the Earth. Oh, no uh, way. And then I got ignored. Which which is perfectly acceptable. I don't. I should be. What's scum of the earth? Scum of the earth is the church that Reese Roper was one of the founding pastors. Yeah. Who is the lead singer of Five Iron Friends? Reese yeah. Roper. No, no, that was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ask a question, get an answer. Next, That's next category on the board. <laughs> well, I'm right, Jay, well, and I'm Tyler. I'm Carl. Hey, and this is. Roughing the Pastor. So we are here with Reverend Dr. Carl Anderson. I was about to get all philosophical and ask, can yeah. we even really say we're all here? But go on, carry on. We're all here. We're, we're all here, here, kind of. I think we yeah. get the existential nature of being present with one another, even though we're separate. Yeah, okay. Um, so Carl, uh, uh, Reverend Dr. Carl Anderson, I met him in seminary, Dubuque Theological Seminary. Uh, I remember on the first day, uh, sizing everybody up, thinking, I don't want to spend any time with these people. And then I saw this cool guy with tattoos, and I thought, ooh, 
I want to be friends with that guy. And I realized later that uh, I annoyed him because I talked about Duke basketball the entire time without knowing much <laughs> about Duke basketball because I was with my friend Chip, who was the only guy I know, and he and I debated Duke basketball for like an hour and uh, found out later that uh, I was I was probably pretty annoying. I think that's a normal a normal way that first impression that people have with Tyler is, boy, this guy talks a whole lot, a lot about stuff he doesn't really understand. <laughs> so... Uh, Mr. Carl, we're going to go through our, our guest questions. Uh, well, for, uh, what's your Enneagram? Uh, I, I believe I'm uh, a nine. What, what leads you to believe such a Surprise. thing? Surprise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the, the ideas of harmony and peacemaking uh, are what resonate. Uh, I have test, I've tested as a nine before. Uh, I, I would say my Enneagram knowledge is enough to sound competent for other folks who don't know a lot. Uh, but dangerous for people who know what they're talking about to sound like a fool. That's me. That's where I am. Yeah. Do you have any sense of your wings? Uh, I, I think I lean eight, but I haven't. I haven't dipped into things far enough that way yet. And just to, in case this is the first episode you listen to, welcome. But uh, enneagrams are the nines and the enneagrams. Both Jay and I are also nines. We tend to only talk to people who are nines. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't want the conflict of talking to yeah, anybody else. The, uh, nines tend to be peacemakers. They're people who uh, try to resolve conflict and or avoid conflict. Um, and a lot of pastors are nines. But a lot of pastors aren't nines. So there's that. Check this out. I We did write down the questions because we asked hey. them in the Facebook group. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my answers so, are too. We'll see if I'm consistent. Oh, wow. Let, let's compare. Oh, I got your answers right here. Fantastic. Ooh. Okay. Uh, do you know your Myers-Briggs? Uh, yeah, INFP. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keeping, keeping. Uh, hey Jay, what's your what's your Myers Briggs? <laughs> INFP. Oh yeah, you know what mine is? INFP. Uh, it's at ESJT. Oh really? No, no, no. no it's an INFP. <laughs> I just made it. None of those letters that I just said were actually right. Oh good. Yeah, we're essentially it's like having an interview with yourself at this point. Yep. Uh, let's see, Hogwarts house. Uh, this is one I I don't know. Tyler has told me on multiple occasions that I'm Hufflepuff. Uh, he feels. I mean, I'll trust his judgment. It's super cool. Our oldest is, uh, she finally dove into uh, Harry Potter this year. Um, for about four years, I tried to get her into it. I bought her the box set a couple of years ago. And over fall break this year, she's like, fine. Uh, she read the entire series uh, in less than three weeks. Oh, wow. Nice. Uh, she, is, she is on her second full read through of quarantine right now. Oh, nice. uh, she's finishing up book seven for That's the third time. Awesome. Uh, second time of quarantine. Yeah. She's in deep. We've had great success with the, they have illustrated versions of the, first they're beautiful book. books. They're fantastic. And so we, we, with our, our oldest son, we tried to get him to read it and he kind of couldn't ca- quite keep with it. But then we got the illustrated one. He yeah. was like all in. So and yeah, we're, we're, we're enjoying it. Uh, but yeah, and, I mean, Hufflepuff feels good. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm uh, others focused enough to be Gryffindor mm. or academic enough to be Ravenclaw. I don't care enough to be Slytherin. Yeah. <laughs> Just so we're I, all we're keeping track at home, your uh, post on our Facebook page says Tyler tells me I'm a Hufflepuff. So so far, <laughs> on brand. Track and write it right on away. On brand. I know that you're typically you're not supposed to uh, you're not supposed to type people with their enneagram or with their Myers Briggs, but I am all about sorting people into Hogwarts houses. I feel like you are the sorting hat. 
Yeah, I'm very happy doing that. Once you kind of understand the the pluses and negatives of each of the houses, you can kind of figure out where people are coming coming from. Yeah. Uh, concert you would travel back in time to see. Uh, so now I know this one because the answers are very clear to me. Uh, I would do Mumford and Sons at Red Rock. Yeah. Uh, but I turned down tickets in high school to see Run DMC and BC Boys at a small venue in Omaha. Uh, and that is one of my larger regrets in life. Do you remember why you turned it down? It was some church stuff. Yeah. That'll get you every time. And it was it would have been going with other church friends, which is the worst part about it. But I chose the churchy thing rather than going to the show, which was just stupid. Let that be a lesson to you, kids. Let that be a lesson to you. Always go to the show. Always go to the show. You hear the quote from Reverend Dr. Carl Anderson, church stuff is stupid. <laughs> I, that, that might be a little uh, a little license. Sorry, church, church stuff is just stupid. I think that's <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Quote. Uh, any, anytime you can throw the word just in there, that, that makes it <laughs> That makes church. it churchy. Yeah. <laughs> God's ears perk up. What are they saying? <laughs> this is all they want. This is just just this. <laughs> just, it's just this. <laughs> Batman or Superman? I see. I know this one too. I, Wonder Woman. That's uh, and I just because if we're staying in uh, if we're staying in DC, I mean, that's I mean that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I, I like Superman. Uh, I, I think I like the fact that. That Wonder Woman has, she owns her origin story a little bit deeper. Uh, and I like her self awareness in that. Yeah. She, uh, the, the, the Wonder Woman movie, I, I had for a long time on DC thought that Wonder Woman was a female appropriation of Superman. Uh, the latest Wonder Woman movie was fantastic in proving how wrong I was about that. And, yeah. and my confession is my cut does not go into any of the comics for, for either universe. So whatever's put, being put out in movies is where my uh, source material comes from. Yeah. Favorite Beetle? Done. <laughs> oh. favorite, okay, favorite alternative to Beatles then? I don't know. I just don't. I, I didn't come from a high... Like like a classic uh, music appreciation. Like I listened to or watched Friends from Afar, Grieve, Bowie, or Prince, and was like, eh, what? I, I just I don't experience that. I didn't. I mean, the Beatles are the Beatles. My like I have this visceral memory of somebody made my dad a forty one hits wonder for his fortieth birthday, and like listening to that on repeat. So like a moderate appreciation for some classic music, uh, like classic rock, but not a big appreciation for the Beatles. I, I mean, I will say like there, there were some, a handful of bands that I was like, Oh, I, maybe I should listen to them. Maybe not. Uh, you know, the, the conversation about U2 a few episodes back, I was like, I didn't want to like U2 because the people I liked, the people that I knew that liked U2 were pretentious. Yeah. Uh, they also drove, like BMWs. And I was like, oh, I don't like that either. Uh, or NXS. Uh, and then eventually I listened and I was like, okay, I really like this. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't have a, a, an alternative for the Beatles. Here's a, let me, um, <clears throat> your response kind of got me this, uh, and, and I'll post it to both of you. Cause I think this might, could be an interesting question. What is a band that you inherited from your parents that may, and maybe you still don't really listen to it, but what's, what's something that you remember your parents listening to and it, it kind of stuck with you a little bit longer. 
Because some people inherit the beat. Like my parents didn't really dig on the Beatles. They they didn't care about them one way or another. That it just wasn't around the house. My dad loved the Who, mm-hmm. uh, and my uh, I got from my mom James Taylor and John Denver, and, and Lionel Richie in ways that were like I still really like all those bands because they sound like the music of my childhood. My dad was super into to classic rock, so I got the Beatles from him, um, and I, I still love the Beatles. Um, I was gonna the the most white hipster thing I can possibly say. Last night, Ben Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie live streamed a all Beatles cover show, and it was fantastic. Um, so I still love the Beatles. I have like guilty pleasure spots for bands like Boston and Foreigner. Um, those were straight from dad. Um, and like I don't think I would listen to them now, but they're still kind of in there. Our folks loved Neil Diamond. Yeah. Uh, like, I remember <laughs> I remember my first experience with HBO was watching The Jazz Singer. Oh, man. Uh, so so having, uh, having the, the sentimentality of, like, you know, if I ever have to dip into baseball, like the Red Sox used to Sweet Caroline is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, we had a bizarre fixation on uh, coming to America the, today. Uh, yeah. When I was in college, like every now and again, we'd throw on like a soft rock channel uh, and that would freeze everything if that came on. Uh, it was a like a, oh, a surreal song. experience. Did you see that? To America. First of all, yeah. my camera keeps oh, yeah, losing focus. <laughs> oh, yeah. When he starts saying, oh, man. So Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond's a great songwriter. What's that oh, movie? you think Saving Silverman. Yeah. That's yeah. a great movie when they have yeah. the Neil Diamond cover band. Yep. So good. It's like when the world was uh, kind of introduced to Jack Black. He had kind of been around for a little bit, but that was his big, uh, his big moment in the sun. That and um, oh, what's that movie with John Cusack uh, where he makes all the lists? Empire Record? No, no, it's close to that. What is that called? Uh, Rare are the moments the Tyler Internet the Movie Oof. Database falls apart. It's fun to watch though. It's like in an inception when a handful of things on the beach start crumbling. You're like, oh, no, is it all going to fall now? <laughs> it really is. This is the moment where my brain collapses. And on itself, it's because I can't remember that John Cusack movie. And it's not Empire Records. That's all I can think of now. Uh, keep talking. <laughs> and I'll figure it out. The only, other, the only other movie of that era that I can think of is like Serendipity. But that doesn't yeah. feel like it's it either. Uh, I, it's I, a I good don't... movie, too. It's a good movie. He makes a list of, of uh, top fives. And if you're a listener listening to this, it's probably and you know it, it's driving you crazy. Uh, yeah, keep going. Do something else. I'm, I'm racing <laughs> your brain with the actual IMDb, which is hard because I've got like 8,000 wires in this setup right now. Ask, all ask another question. Here's, here's second, the best part I, about being on the podcast. This, this feels like talking to you exactly what it feels like listening to you, <laughs> where there are moments that it's just like, come on. <laughs> I, I, I know where this is going I know how this is going to resolve yeah. itself and somehow on the editing floor yeah, 12, a lot of minute, 12 minutes of out. this is just like oh. the answer you're looking no, for no, no, Tyler no no, no. no, no don't, oh, say okay. don't say it don't yes. say it no say go it. there because I do know it don't let no, me do it. this it's because uh, oh, I could, five it's a, it's a great movie four three two Jay what's the answer for those listening at home, it is high fidelity. High fidelity is the answer. <laughs> Tyler has removed his earbuds so as not to hear the answer. 
And the best part of this is I know that most of this conversation will be edited out at some point. I know. That's that's the disappointing part. All right. So what are the other questions? So then he can't edit it out. That was it. That was those. Those are all. Oh, the that's questions. it. I'm at the end. I mean, other than what's your favorite roughing the past? Hi, episode, Tyler. But that yeah, feels. Yeah, what's it called? I can't. Hi, Tyler. Hi, Fidelity. Oh, <laughs> son of a gun. Oh. <laughs> Ugh, that's a great movie, and they uh-huh. ma- they made it. Uh, it's a they, they made a, a a show about it, starring Zoe Kravitz. That's on like uh, Amazon Prime right now. That moment right there was like watching the dam break open. That like yeah. you got the name of the movie, well, and, and knew, then you like, started name everybody in the it, show so, and the the people that starred in the show. The interesting and the, thing about so Zoe Kravitz is in the remake, and Zoe Kravitz is the daughter of uh, Lisa Bonet, who's in the original. Anyway, who cares? None of this is going to be in the show. Uh, so uh i I was talking to carl when we were saying like uh i i when we have guests on we like to invite the guests to to bring a topic if only because we want it to be something that you could talk about for a little bit and um and uh we had a very nine back and forth where we said whatever you want to talk about whatever you want to talk about and um and i said i've had uh michael jordan on the brain a lot because i've been watching this uh this last dance documentary, which is now in uh, the, what the first six parts are out. Uh, yeah. As of this, the, as of this, I haven't seen, I don't, I haven't watched five and six for reasons that <laughs> are too complicated for a podcast I or unnecessary. Watched, I, <laughs> intriguing. Uh, I just watched up to part five last night. And I'm guessing part seven and eight will drop by the time this drops. Yeah. They drop come out on Sunday. Correct. But uh, I I just watched part five last night, and I've watched them almost exclusively on my phone, because uh, Adrian has no interest in in uh, <laughs> basketball uh, or documentaries about Michael Jordan, and uh, I keep kind of just catching them, and they're so good, uh, so I'll watch them in bed on my phone. Uh, and uh, last night I was I finished up part four, and then was just going to watch a little bit of part five, and then suddenly I'd watched the whole episode. <laughs> Uh, Jay, have you are you aware of this documentary? Do you? No, that's uh, I'm not very much into basketball. Um, obviously, I know Jordan's a, a a bit of a big deal. Uh, yep. No, the only thing I know about Michael Jordan is that he and my buddy Mario Lemieux were friends. Um, but that's it. Yeah, I'd like so, to hear more uh, about your friendship with Mario Lemieux. I've met him three times. I'm going to go ahead and call him a friend. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what kind of a capacity times? have you met him? When I was, I don't know. 12 11 or 12 i went to a penguins uh event that he was signing autographs and i don't know how i somehow got to be like third in line um and when he signed the autograph i wished him good luck in the next game and like he was doing this thing where he was like just kind of robotically signing autographs you know like da 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 and when i said good luck he stopped looked up made eye contact with me and was like no one ever talks to me during these things thank Aww. you uh so like we had we had a moment uh, and then I met him once at the arena. I bumped into him. We, my parents had tickets in the club level for some goofy reason. A friend of a friend had given him tickets, and I went to go get nachos, and he was in the club level uh, doing his thing. And then the third time was like another autograph session. So like I've, I've met him three or four times. Um, sweet dude. Huge. Freaking huge guy. When you saw him in the club level, was he like, you're that kid who wished me good luck. No, he had no oh, idea. Okay. Yeah. It, it had a little bit of a Disney origin story moment. Yeah. <laughs> You're a really fat, tall version of that kid that wished me good luck. The other <laughs> Did you say, Mr. Lemieux, good luck? And then his <laughs> eyes like went, whoosh, and then he, like he, all the memories came flooding back in. 
And he was like, high fidelity. That was <laughs> <laughs> so how is your, how, um, tell me your experience with Michael Jordan and like, wh- what is this documentary doing for you? So, so being of an age where I, I, I mean, I came of age with, with Jordan and the Bulls uh, being, um, at are, about, we are, we are, the gap between you and I is similar to the gap between Jay and I, but in the other direction. So you're a few, <laughs> you're a few years older than me. I'm a few so we're five, older. we're five yeah. apart. Yeah. So we would be, we were freshmen at the same time, but uh, one in college and one full in decade apart. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so being from Omaha, being from the middle of nowhere and really not having pro sports teams that are, uh, that are local, uh, we, we drifted and you picked your teams and like a lot of young kids, we picked whoever was popular. And, um, and when you finally come of age and decide you're going to pick this team and you're going to stick with it, that's when the bulls were, uh, coming of age as well, that, that, um, they were in the throes of, of playing the Pistons at, uh, 88, 89, 90. So you were uh, 10 when Jordan came, became pro. Yes. 85. Yes. Ish. Okay. Yes. Uh, so, um, I mean, I collected all the posters, would watch all the games when they were on, uh, knew about it, care about it, um, and was just really into, uh, I mean, I love basketball. Uh, so it was, they, they were where I was at, uh, in terms of sports. And as we have these conversations about who's the greatest and, and what's the, who's the best player of all time. One of the things that, that struck me is a lot of people of an era pick the greatest from their era. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's one of the things, uh, that caused me to stop. At one point, somebody said, I don't know if you like Jordan as much as what Jordan means to you. Yeah. Uh, when, when having a conversation about who's better, Jordan or LeBron. Um, and it caused me to stop and think a little bit. Uh, I mean, I still have thoughts and feelings and opinions about it. Uh, about who's better. Um, but I also, you know, I, I am a proud Kansas Jayhawk and I will argue to the teeth about greatest college programs of all time. Um, and the one that gets me, the, the other, the other, uh, the other player that I'll throw in for greatest player of all time, uh, is Will Chamberlain, uh, because the kinds of stuff he did were unprecedented. And it's funny, the, uh, the documentary as it's ruffled some feathers and got, some people angry about their history. Uh, Isaiah Thomas has made some points about who's better uh, than whom, and he awoken the beast that was Wilt Chamberlain. <laughs> uh, and Wilt Chamberlain's throwing out things like, they had to make rules so I couldn't dominate. They changed <laughs> the rules so you could. Yeah. Well, that's I, I, that's an interesting conversation. The who is greatest? I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't know basketball all that well. Other than I will say, the Kansas uh, team, for as much as I pay attention during March Madness, I always put them in my Final Four because I feel like there's a decent chance they're going to yeah. get there, uh, yeah. just about every year. Uh, but like the conversation of like in hockey, if Sidney Crosby was playing back when Lemieux played, it's totally uh, is that true in basketball that like rules have changed? The game oh, has absolutely. changed. Yeah. Very much so. It's like it's almost an unfair comparison to be like LeBron or Michael Jordan. Like It's a whole different game. They were just talking about that this morning. They, uh, I was watching ESPN this morning because I find it fascinating to watch ESPN try to talk about anything. <laughs> <laughs> not, there hasn't been sports for two months, and they're still like – like, and it's fabulous. I love mm-hmm. – uh, I really like sports, but I'm not – 
uh, I don't dive deep into sports the way I do with movies and stuff like that. So I'm real kind of surface level sports guy. Um, but I always would watch Mike and Mike in the morning. And now that they're split, I still kind of watch the ESPN stuff. Um, they were trying to do like a conversion to figure out what Jordan would be like. And one of the things that they, and they were even like using kind of stats, like using math to try to get it. And they were saying how, how much more people shoot the three pointer now. And, um, part of that is just like coaches allow like the whole game has moved that way and the, and they call fouls so much more. And they, they realized that Jordan was averaging, uh, early on in his first three years, I think he was averaging 35 points a game. And they said, if they take into account how much more people shoot the three and Jordan's percentage when he was shooting the three, um, that he would be averaging 45 to 50 points a game <laughs> if he played now and how much more they foul and how, what is, what his average was from the foul line and stuff like that. Like, and they, it wasn't just like this random guess, like they actually did some math on it. Um, but again, you, you are, so he's playing in a different era and on that level, when you handicap it, it's almost like handicapping like box office receipts from the 1940s. It's a whole different game, uh, on a level that it's, you can't even really compare it. So when you were growing up, Carl, like in Nebraska, could you follow the Bulls? Like, yeah, I mean, they... it was still whatever we were getting on local TV. Yeah, uh, for games. I mean, again, and being of an age where the proliferation of cable hadn't happened yet. Yeah. Uh, in terms of having access to, like, we'd only get whatever games were on, so we were hoping we'd get them. But you know, being being at the closest market to us was Chicago. Uh, we'd catch them. Uh, I mean, I. Don't, I don't know quite how old the Timberwolves and Minnesota Minneapolis are, uh, and in like the mid '80s, the King the Kings left. <laughs> yeah, the Kings left uh, Kansas City to go to Sacramento, uh, so there weren't there weren't local teams necessarily. So, uh, I mean, and they were so box office that anytime you could see Jordan, I mean, and they'd put Magic and the Lakers on, they'd put Bird and the Celtics on, or Isaiah and the Pistons. And at that point, I mean, one of the major transformations that happened, it went from primarily a team game with some names to personality driven. Mm. I mean, that was one of the big catalysts. I mean, and I think that's one of the things, thinking about the athleticism, like when you see somebody do something the first time and you keep trying to do that, uh, all of a sudden it's not that it's never been done before. It's what does that open and introduce for us to do now? And that's part of the acceleration of what's happened athletically over the last two decades uh, with basketball. I mean, it's just, it's blossomed. <laughs> Another interesting thing from a media standpoint, uh, ESPN did not have live sports uh-uh. until, I mean, for a very long time. And so it was just a news network that only did sports. And so they would have clips and stuff, but they didn't have live stuff. And uh, back before cable was really had that much depth, like, Saturday afternoons was all sports and stuff like that. And they would regularly show like the NBA was on NBC mm-hmm. as it still is, but like on a regular basis. And that's where you get it. And even as it slowly moved to like TNT and stuff like that, but it was still, it was really easy with basic or no cable to see basketball on a pretty regular basis. And they would show the game that everybody wanted to see, which was almost always Michael Jordan or the, the Lakers or something like that. And, um, it's interesting also, I mean, this is one, every once in a while we kind of brush up on those those edges of where the generation kind of ends. And like, I was just enough in that era that like everybody just liked Michael Jack- Jordan. 
Like it was just, he was the athlete that everybody loved, even if he didn't really care about basketball. And I didn't really care about basketball. I, I enjoyed it as a game. I just wasn't very good at it. And so like I went to basketball camp and stuff like that when I was a kid, because that's what we did in the Midwest. But uh, everybody just loved Michael Jordan and he was on everything. He was on every commercial and I had all the Michael Jordan posters because I got them free in a cereal box and they came in like Sports Illustrated for kids and uh, my dad had a subscription to Sports Illustrated and it would come with a Michael Jordan Come Fly With Me video and we watched that all the time and it was like <laughs> it, in as there was less media, the media that was available was more just kind of globally accepted. And so it was just understood. Everybody liked Michael Jordan. And especially at the time, there was like nothing that like he he was almost impeccable as a public figure in terms of like that he didn't really have any flaws. He was always happy. He didn't talk any controversial stuff. And he was really good at what he did. And so he was a good like they pushed him a lot as a role model for kids. Mm -hmm. And so it was just good to like to have a Michael Jordan poster on your wall was just standard. Yeah. In the same way that they also had like Lamborghini posters on your wall for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. It's funny to me, like I think about, you talk about that generation thing. You know, Kobe is, was the, the next approximation. Uh, and it's interesting, like having a, a response to, I don't know if I like Kobe that much because Kobe's trying to be Michael or Kobe. People are saying, and this idea that what's comparable or what's next somehow isn't as good as, uh, and I have to somehow be anti Kobe because I was yeah. pro Jordan. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I think I like, I appreciate more of the nuanced conversations that talk about, well, I can be, I like, I can see the pros and I can listen and, and hear the arguments for LeBron or Kobe. I like, I have these great memories of playing basketball, with some terrible middle school basketball players, uh, I had this eighth grade kid who just loved playing basketball at the end of youth group and, and he, he had no ligaments in his joints and he was just all puppy. Like he just <laughs> tripping over his adult feet and had no business, but he, he'd sit up there and he'd chuck shots from half court and just be cold. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, just every, <laughs> uh, I mean, even if he was eating the ball cause he couldn't get it past his, his shot off, it's Kobe. Yeah. I'm gonna go Kobe on you, Carl. I'm gonna go Kobe. That's fine. I'll take your Kobe. That's we can we can work with this. Um, and, you know, and I, and I think about how sometimes having the, the the affinity for one in our culture necessitates that we have the the antithesis for the other. Uh, Do you think that I, I, this is a thought that's been it's a borderline political? So you know, hang in there. Uh, but like the tribalism of your team. Right, so like, again, hockey's all I know to the surprise of everybody on this podcast. Um, but like, I, arguably, two of the best through history are Lemieux and Crosby, and no one has that fight because they both play for the Penguins. Right, so like, who cares? Kobe and 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 uh, and Jordan are on different teams. Even like, you know, it is almost not. You're almost unable to argue the fact that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time at this point. But I still won't say that because he plays for the Patriots, right? So is that part of it or is it just the new replacing the old? I mean, so Jay, I was thinking about that uh, yesterday because I stumbled into uh, an argument where somebody was just destroying. And this is – your fans are going to love this. Uh, roughing <laughs> the past, our fans are going to love this. Yeah. Somebody was trashing episodes one, two, and three of the Star Wars series. Mm. And thinking about how – 
people have uh, a sentimentality about it. if that's the air if you were introduced during that time there there's not the baggage that comes with it that does for those of us of a generation that were raised on four five and six right and i i just wonder now i'm of the mindset i mean if i have to rank them i'm not ranking those three high but I don't have the disparaging feelings that a lot of people do about them. Right. And I just wonder if because we're so because we so badly want to defend what we love that we somehow project onto what's deemed or, or viewed as uh, competition. Like people don't like Hayden Christensen's acting. OK, but we're cool with Mark Hamill's. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, like, good, good point, Carl. We are cool with Mark Hamill. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not, I mean, none of it was spectacular, but the way it touched us at, at that time was so profound that I think, I think it's okay. I mean, and I mean, here, here's, here's where my, my job as a church person says, okay, let's pivot. Like, I think so much of the pushback about anything new in church stuff has more to do with, mm-hmm. but what about what was valuable to me? What about what I felt when we were singing that hymn? or listening to pastors that dress that way or structured. And I just wonder how much of it is not that we dislike it, just that it failed to engage us or meet us where something earlier did. Is it is it too much to say, this might be a little too psychological, is it too much to say that an attack on that feels like an attack on your childhood? Yes. No, it's not too much to say. I think that there are a lot of people who, <clears throat> because we are so emotionally connected to some of these things when people criticize um, the things that that were uh, fundamental for us. I think we feel like, well, it was fundamental for... Like, older people who love, like, the sound of music or something like that. And then you watch it as a kid, and you're like, this isn't that good. And then people are like, what are you talking about? It's not good, that good. Look at all this stuff. And then you're like, but it's three hours long. You could do this movie in 90 minutes, and it would be way better. Like that's- It's wholesome. Yeah, yeah, that 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 the culture has changed, and that doesn't make something better. Or it's like trying to compare, like we were talking about, trying to compare Jordan to the basketball players of right now. Yes, you can compare them, but ultimately you can't. You can like to say the greatest movie of all time is Citizen Kane, or Star Wars, or uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Fast and High Fidelity, Street. or High Fidelity, uh, yeah, High Fidelity. <laughs> but to say that is. Um, one could say that, but you're never going to be able to definitively connect it because there's so much culture and emotion and everything connected to it that it's difficult. I can't believe I was a part of a conversation the other day where we were talking about how to lead church uh, during these times. And the head of staff said, have you guys been watching Saturday Night Live? They figured out in three weeks how to do what I think we're supposed to be doing and how they're managing what they're putting out content-wise uh, with the resources they have available. They're giving people appropriate-sized sketches in a medium that's... Uh, it's the only medium that's allowable now. Yeah. Uh, and, and I found myself sitting there going, I can't believe I'm having this conversation where the head of staff at a fairly, a fairly reformed, old-school liturgical church is saying, we should be more like Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Well, but that's so you, you've got my brain tickling on this whole, you know, people are resistant to change in the church because it's kind of like attacking the way they grew up with it. Where do you think we and I don't have an answer to this yet. Where do you think we are as leaders of the church where 
I'm, uh, you know, our church is starting to think about what coming back to normal looks like. And guys, there's no normal to come back to, (laughs) right? Like so many people are going to have churches. They know it ripped away from them. I I don't know. For me, that's a hopeful thing, but I, I I don't know. Maybe I haven't paid enough attention to the sentimentality that some people are going to lose. You can't have a choir right now. (laughs) Like you just can't, um, you know, like, I don't know how we wrestle with that. One of the things that I think has been our challenge for a long time as the church has been giving people the tools to wrestle with real questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons I, I love working with younger minds is that they're not stuck mm-hmm. uh, and it has to be a certain way. Um, and I think that is brilliant from the, from the vantage point that um, – it doesn't have to look the way it's always looked. And in fact, I think minds that are continuing to ask good questions are going to break down some of what is, uh, knowing that what, what might be good could still be an obstacle to what is better. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that makes a difference. I know one of the bigger struggles I had as an adult was moving into a solo pastorate uh, and realizing that it was just hard for people to ask questions because the feeling that if they if one of the questions didn't answer the way they wanted it to, it would somehow undo a lot of what they'd built their faith upon. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think a lot of what we built our faith upon has been a sentimentality of certain songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been about the placement of certain things during worship, about the way we dress, about what's appropriate or inappropriate, uh, and how we phrase those things. And somehow that sentimentality has built an unintentional idol uh, and it, I mean, we, it turns into Aaron in the wilderness saying, oh yeah, this makes sense. Let's just do this because this gives us at least something to hold on to in the absence of what we're really searching for. So true. I really, I want to lift up. <clears throat> we hold on to what's good. What the things that are good can get in the way of something that could be better. I think that that is one of the biggest struggles of the church and struggles in our life. And, but especially with sentimentality, because we hold on to things that were great once. And that may be okay now um, for fear of trying something that won't be great. And so like VBS, we will do VBS every year because it used to be great. And it's okay now. Like it's not terrible, but it's okay. Um, I think for a lot of churches, it really taps the resources of the volunteers and of the families. And some churches do it wonderfully, but I don't think all churches do it wonderfully. I think a lot of churches probably don't need to do it, but just it was great for them when they were kids. It was great. And it's what always happened. Like, it, we, this is what we do. This is what the church does. And we do it pretty good. And so if we tried something else and it fails, not only are we not doing that good thing that we used to do, we have taken the energy away from that. So we've lost stuff. So we might as well just keep holding on to this stuff that worked. Well, that's, that's the part that gives me hope, right, is that this pandemic is going to force some people's hand uh, at some of that stuff, right? Like, the, that's not how we used to do it is a phrase that's going to practically be eliminated from the vocabulary of the church. People could still say it, but like we can't, we can't recreate that. So I guess my question is if you are coming up in the age of LeBron James and something new has come along, how do you still honor the contributions of the thing that came before um, without like saying, well, that was better you know, like we're moving into some brave new world, but we also kind of have to like honor what was. Well, and one of the, I, I think one of the problems with 
what feeds into sentimentality is this notion that there is this perfect, like that mm-hmm. there's this 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 objective ideal of like getting to, and which is the it's it's the result of modernism. If we want to get into kind of philosophical things, it's this notion that we as a human race can perfect society, can perfect, uh, which I mean. All of our political systems are based on modernism, it, which we will continue to get better and then one day we'll be perfect. Capitalism is a modernist idea. And this postmodern idea, which is kind of saying like everything's true, which is also it's helpful kind of kind of liberates stuff. But it's also not helpful because it takes away any kind of mooring that we had for stuff. And we're kind of post postmodern at this point. I don't even know what we are, but but we still all of our systems. Even in our even in our ways that we function, the church especially is based on this idea that we will continue to try to refine and get better at this thing. And once we've gotten better, then then that's it. We just kind of stay at that spot. And for a lot of people, especially as you get older, you start to think, well, things were better when I was younger, or things were. It was so much fun when I was a kid. I wish we could do something like that for for these kids. And so we sentimentalize what was there, and want to retain that thing. And and we've taught our kids to do the same. I mean, I still have I still have very very profound memories of getting into youth group in high school, or even just generally high school, and looking at the seniors and thinking, man, like that's where it's at. If I could be like them and have life figured out like they do, uh, and then you realize, like, you, you may have a chance to get to know them, and eventually you become them, uh, and you're like, oh my goodness, how how on earth. Uh, and the realization that at some point we have to be the owners of what we're doing while at the same time preparing the next group that comes in. Like when that group of seniors leaves, they're gone. I mean, that there's a new class. I mean, in youth ministry for us gives us the advantage to understand ministry in this way. But when they don't rotate off a session and they don't rotate off a committee and they don't rotate off a leadership in a way that allows for a new voice to continue to speak into it. I think we somehow stagnate stuff because we think, oh, that person's always there. Like, I love my Nana, and she was, by all standards, the matriarch of the church that I grew up in. But in some ways, holding on to her and keeping her in that position um, didn't allow for some changes. Now, she was a rad lady and allowed for some changes to happen because she (laughs) liked some of the people coming up after her. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think... If we don't understand why we liked it and we couldn't identify that other than they were just there, so that's what I liked, um, I think we're, we're going to get stuck in this old world where uh, we're not allowing ourselves. I mean, Tyler, you kept using the word refined. I mean, it, it doesn't seem very Presbyterian to not talk about being reformed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea that it's not just that you stay reformed, it's that you're always reforming. Yeah. That we're always in this perpetual place, not of looking back or looking forward, but being present to what has been and what is coming so that we can be now what we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think, there's, I think there's a lot of hope in that. Um, it's one of the reasons I like staying Presbyterian, to be honest. Uh, I like the way that we're supposed to stick with it together. I mean, Jay, you talked about um, the basketball analogy of LeBron James and something well, like, what's next? And I think one of the interesting things that's happened basketball-wise in particular, it's become so individual over the years that we have lost this idea of teams and teamwork and how we're part of something together. Uh, you know, and that's one of the, the curious arguments about how LeBron elevates his teams as he moves from place to place as opposed to what Jordan did on a single team through a single decade. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they're, they're not comparable. Uh, or it's hard to find those comparisons. And it's an interesting endeavor to say, okay, well, so what made them good then? And is that something that we can implement now? Like, I think that gives us good permission to try and figure out how we're supposed to be in the world that we're in today. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I'm driving at is that like, there are parts of the church that I want to look at and say, man, that was really great for that time of life. It is no longer that time of life. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's not the same. I think some young pastors come in and, and go, let's change it because change is awesome. And like that just <laughs> pisses people off, right? Like that's no good. Um, but to say like, no, no, I really appreciate the contributions that you made to this church, this institution, this building back in the 50s, 60s, whenever you were coming up. We're not there anymore. Uh, and I want to celebrate what you did and also start to move us towards more reformation, more more change, and more keeping up with the times. And again, I think we're going to have a crash course in these questions very soon uh, yeah. based on world events. Um, well, and, and it's the question of, I mean, to that degree, how do we bless what has come before us mm-hmm. while honoring what needs to be and honoring what will come in the future? Like that it's not saying... Well, that worked then, but it doesn't work now. Like, it's not, we don't have to destroy something to, we don't have to, like you were saying before, in order to like LeBron, I don't have to hate Michael and, and vice versa. And, uh, and that, that notion is so ingrained into who we are as Americans that we replace things. We don't, uh, we don't, uh, evolve into that. We're not. We have this story that we love to talk about, but in the present, we always like to to say what's next and kind of like this is the newness and this is the, everything that came before is terrible. And even if they honor it, like when Kobe would try to say everything I have comes from Michael, there'd be people who say, yeah, but everything you do is better than Michael or or you just shoot the ball too much. And, and Michael was so much better like that. When, whenever he would try to honor Michael, people would Jen, just compare him to Michael. And that's not fair. And it's not helpful, and and particularly in the church. I, Carl, I really love the the reformed thing. I've always thought we should call ourselves the reforming church more than the reformed church, because the notion is not that we've done it. The notion is that we always are trying to get better, and when you're always trying to get better, it's not to the end that one day you will perfect it, but it's to the end that life is active, and we need to be active as well. And when we start to establish a system then we're married to the system instead of to the, the things in which the system is serving, which is people who are alive. And that becomes a problem. And I think that this is one of the, I, I have been forwarded an email from a couple people uh, of the pastors who are sending out this religious liberties thing. Oh my, uh, about, uh, I don't want to get into it too much, but uh, basically saying they're, they're trying to appeal to the governor to say that it's against, it's, it's limiting the religious freedom of churches by not letting them gather together and that we need to have exemptions from this so that we can gather because this is our, it's our first amendment that, that we need to, the, the freedom to practice our religion. And there's so many things wrong with that. Uh, from, I mean, like from, to put on history, Tyler, uh, history teacher, Tyler, uh, that's not what the first amendment is talking about. No one is, no one's right to practice their religion is being, uh, stopped by the government their right to uh, be healthy as being there, but you can still be a Christian. No one is inhibiting your ability to be a Christian unless your only way to be a Christian is to gather in a large church service. 
And the, for, the problem is for many of us, the primary way in which we practice our faith is by simply getting in a room and standing and sitting and listening and worshiping with people. And outside of that, we don't know what we're, how we're actively practicing that. And so if the only way you can practice your faith is by sitting in a room with a hundred people, then I don't, I would maybe double check kind of, well, what does this mean to me? Uh, because I think that's the problem. And, and it, especially from a religious standpoint, there's nothing in scripture that says that what we, what we're supposed to do is to gather in large places and sing worship songs and pray and hear sermons. And those are great things, but that's not the heart of what we're trying to do. To that point, I mean, I think, I mean, I think between the three of us, there's enough ego to fill up plenty of churches. Certainly. <laughs> uh, I mean, and that's, I think that's a major factor in what's going on with all of these is we want audiences. I mean, mm-hmm. we want people to hear who we are and we've not been trained to do anything different. And the easy path this way is to say, get my people back. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I think, Jay, to your point, I think this continues to perpetuate we as the leaders have to figure out how to pivot in this moment as well. We have to sacrifice our understanding of being central uh, as the focal point as opposed to a distribution point to what's going on. Uh, and I think that'll change a bunch of things. But as long as we're, as long as we hold on to our little bit of, uh, authority in these times, I think that's going to be what stymies a lot of the continued and potential growth. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I have appreciated the pandemic. <laughs> that's not usually something somebody says. Uh, I've, no. appre- <laughs> I've appreciated that I've needed to flex some creative muscles that have been dormant for a long time. Um, you know, we, <laughs> it was Ed's idea. So I'm going to give Ed all the credit, my coworker, uh, Ed Sutter, but he, r- the other uh, day we ran a marathon he ran a marathon. I biked behind him. Um, but both in your respective spots. Oh, no, you were, you were together. No, we were together. Yeah. Um, and, and he drew the route based on he invited our youth group kids to submit prayer requests. Um, and, and if they wanted us to, we would come by their driveway, stand you know socially distant in their driveway, but then pray with them. Uh, so it was the first time in months that we had stood face-to-face-ish uh, with some of the kids in our youth group. And so it's a both and kind of thing because like I, I, the creativity in that is something I don't think we would have thought of otherwise. And yet <laughs> that connection piece kind of showed how far short the creative bits are going, right? Uh, I'll, I'll chime in there though, both and wise. It is beautiful, but man, that sucks because my creativity thinking, do I have to really run a marathon to see some kids? <laughs> Heavens no. <laughs> because the answer to that is nope. No, that's, that's, and that's, you know, <laughs> I didn't run the marathon. I was on a bike because, you know, fat man. I don't want don't to bike run. in a marathon either, though. <laughs> yeah, but, but we took yeah, the Where's the, the, best, yeah, where's the, the Chipotle will, version of that? Yeah. yeah. I think that's part of creativity, though, is you take the tools that you have in front of you and say, how can I use this? Uh, I'm a bike rider. Ed's a runner. Okay, how do we use this? Uh, songwriters are going to come up with different creative things. Preachers are going to have to come up with different creative things, right? Um, but again, that's. Right. But that's the, you know, if, if all you have is a toolbox of celebrity, right? I am, I am popular in my church. So the only thing I have left in my toolbox is to have a group of people here with me. Now you have a problem. Well, I think we can all imagine the ego pastors, which are usually the ones driving these petitions and things like that. But I think even more, 
as the more subtle things are the the insecure pastors mm-hmm. of saying like if they figure out that they don't need me yep then what am i here for and and on a subconscious level you can't think of scenarios in which you are not central to them because you you want to also justify i'm an essential worker i'm helping during this and so even if it's not, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think our church should get together to meet in public for a while. I, no. I, I, I don't until people tell us we are firmly safe. I think it is, it is not only a bad idea; it is an actively problematic idea, and and exactly the opposite of what the church is supposed to be doing. But there is part of me that it's hard for me. I I, I find myself finding scenarios, and what can I do? How can I be the one who facilitates these things? Because our calling is to be pastors and the traditional way in which a pastor is understood is that you are the leader of almost everything that happens. And so if I create scenarios where I am unnecessary, that is a threat to that image. There's a, there's a very clear, good chance that church will never look anything like what it used to going forward. And that's not just like subtle changes. It could be that like a worship service for most churches, uh, where people gather on a weekly basis just doesn't happen anymore. And that is not a problem for the body of Christ because the body of Christ can still exist and has existed in in different ways, but it's a problem for American Christianity in how we have understood the church to be. And that is incredibly scary. And so what, and, and trying to, we, so even to say that we immediately just say, well, no, 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 no. I mean, eventually we'll get back to this and like, yeah, we'll integrate the new stuff, but we'll, we'll get back to what that is because we can't fathom what that's like to not have that as our as our foundational reality for what the church is. Yeah, and that shows the the kind of the sentimentality and the, and the the fear that we have of of the newness that doesn't look like what we were used to. My only push on that a little is the difference between sentimentality and connection. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The the marathon work because we had connection. Uh, we got to see kids. Um, and that that's you know we we've been doing our contemporary service on zoom which is fun for everybody um the worship service is not the thing it's the 20 minutes after the worship service where no one will hang up uh and everybody just sits and talks to each other for a little while like so we i think you know will we ever go to a place where we're back to exactly how it was no but i th- i still think there's this drive from people that want to connect in some way and i think that that i think this whole thing is kind of underlining how social creatures we really are um, well yeah. i mean we're we're all adults uh we're we're all married and we all have children i mean so at some point in marriage you realize oh life is different but there's a difference in this fullness now that allows me to express a different version of my humanity and as a parent you realize man those first few months where you can't do a dang thing and you're just like uh Life is different and everything has changed, but somehow that doesn't undo what's been before. Mm -hmm. And it's only in those moments of like a twisted version of sentimentality that we're crippled by. I would do anything to just go to a coffee shop by myself. I would do anything to be at a bar. I would do anything to be in a place that doesn't require me to be tethered or connected in these ways. And if that's a, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that thought. Until that's the thought that prevents us to being present to what is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this, this feels like, and I, I've heard the conversation, so I understand some of the deep-seated feelings, that, uh, feelings that'll be uh, uh, awakened while I speak this. But, I mean, there's a small part of this could, that could take on a mission trip feel 
in, in that you go away with no expectations of what's supposed to happen because it's a mission trip. Anything can happen. And then you go back and you wind up in your old routines, but there's still a part of you that thinks, oh, we were going to change things because I was in a place where I realized there was new, different, and, and open possibility. And equipping people to come out of this the same way that we reenter normal life from the mission field yeah. might be one of the tools that we're, that, that us in particular are better equipped to help people with because we help people re, re-enter a version of their old life all the time. Yeah. And that's especially as pastors, I think that that's, that's it. We need to uh, really be helping people to understand that even when what we go back to is going to be different and we will be different and that's okay. And not only is it okay, it's good and essential. Like that, that we should always be different from these massive things like this. And if we go back and just fall into the same routines, what a what a waste of this time. Mm-hmm. That uh, where where God was still doing stuff. I, I keep comparing it to the exile, where God is saying like uh, God says in the exile, like do good stuff, build houses, live here. You're gonna be here for a while, but like bless the place where you are. And and I think part of that too, I love that metaphor, Carl, because it, it initially drew me, it, it immediately drew me back to, I was on a mission trip with uh, Don Dawson in Vietnam and um, we were on our way to get a bus and it was like the last bus that was ever going to leave from Ho Chi Minh City uh, and we were late. Um, and I looked at Don and said, do you have a plan B if we don't make it on time? And he said, not yet. Um, and, and I smiled. Because I don't think a mission trip is good until something goes wrong. Uh, and, and you're forced to kind of like, I don't know what to do now. Let's figure it out. That's the best response. I don't have a, do you have a plan B? Not yet. Not yet. Like, uh, we'll get one. We'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah. And, and we don't need one yet, but we'll, if we need a plan B, that's when we'll come up with one. <laughs> and that's, you know, I point to the marathon thing as like an, ex, uh, 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 an example of good creativity. There were eight bad ideas that preceded that one. Uh, and even some with like smoldering wreckage, like uh, we have to be okay to say, I'm going to try this. And I don't know. I don't know if it'll work. It might not. Let's see what happens. I, I might've been in a band called smoldering wreckage as well. <laughs> nice. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. I, I think in, in some ways too, that's the way, uh, what Don said in that situation is kind of the way to approach this reentry into whatever it is. Like, do we know what the church is going to be like when we get back? Not yet. Like, do we know how we're going to be the church again? Not yet. And that's not because we're not planning for it. It's just because we don't even really know. Like, yeah. we'll see if we catch this bus. We're probably not going to. And th- But then our story doesn't end. Like, our story continues past us missing this bus. So we'll figure out what's going to happen. Yeah. As long as we're faithful, as long as we know what the church is. And the church is the body of Christ. The church is connectional. It's this community that connects us to one another and to God and proclaims that in our actions and our words. Yeah. None of that is uh, the sole property of a worship service or a VBS or a youth group that meets together and plays dodgeball. Like All of those are great things. No, they're still good things, but... but no, no. What, dodgeball was way too important to me when I was growing up. We are not having a church without dodgeball. How... How have we made it over an hour into a conversation and you haven't referenced my inspiration is the best, one of the best games that you ever invented, Tyler? I, do, I don't talk about my games very much. I, I was really good at creating some games and the best game that I ever created was, uh, it was really uh, a game that I played with Carl one time and I couldn't remember how to play it. So I just, <laughs> uh, but we called it Carl Ball mm. and it was, it's the best, it's the best game ever. 
Uh, it's a dot. It's from the dodgeball family of games. It has a very specific ball. That's like a softball type, like size Nerf basketball. I'm familiar and, with that murder weapon. Yeah. Yeah, and it is <laughs> it is wonderful, and it also it, because you are using a dodgeball that is smaller, it does my favorite thing, which is it prevents you from being able to block a ball with a ball, which is then block ball, not dodgeball. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Carl ball, Carl ball is fantastic. I, I will eventually have to have you, Carl, come to our youth group because we play. We have not played Carl Ball yet, but we play Highlander, and the oh Highlander the, is the other game that uh, I've, I yeah Highlander's great. Yeah, and the second noodle is called Mr. Carl, and my youth group kids are always like, "Why is it called that?" And I said, "You'll have to meet him someday." Well, and also my kids ask me like, "Why is this called Mr. Carl?" Is it because I'm not good at naming things? <laughs> and, and I have a friend named Carl. We also had a game called Ugama. Because we have a friend whose last name is Ugoma, and I think that's a hilarious last name. And I can't remember how that game went, but it was really it was a fun game, but I can't remember the rules to it. It is a joy to be an inspiration. I mean, I, I, if nothing else, if I leave the sentimental game for all of your youth group kids. Uh, you, however, Jay, I will tell you I play second noodle to no one. <laughs> Excuse me, no, Mr. first Car- noodle is called <laughs> Mr. Carl. Mr. Carl is the hero of the Highlander game. Yes. Yes. The Highlander is the evil one. Mr. Carl is the only one who can kill the Highlander. The problem is when Mr. Carl kills the Highlander, Mr. He, Carl is corrupted and becomes the Highlander. He gets <laughs> drunk with the power. Yeah. That, that <laughs> feels true to my origin story as well. <laughs> Untold generations, Carl, have been influenced by your, by your greatness. All right, so uh, uh, Twitter question for today. Oh, man. Uh, who is the best basketball player of all time? Oh, jeez. And why is that the best Star Wars movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I think, what are you sentimental about? Like, what do you miss from the church of your youth? Yeah. And that's, I, that's what I was trying to get to. And like, how can you carry the good of that forward without being rigid in what it used to be? Right. Like, what do you love about your past that you can carry forward into the new normal? What yeah, I mean, it's, it's discovering that the recipe that your grandma had for apple pie wasn't great because it was a great <laughs> apple pie. It's because she made it for you with love. Yeah. Hey, uh, one thing that I, uh, you know, we probably should have done earlier, uh, but still deserves the respect is we need to make sure that we're rem- remembering names. And I apologize if I don't get it correct, but uh, Ahmad Arbery uh, and the way he was treated and Sean Reed and the way he was treated, uh, both of those are senseless things that are going on in the world today. Uh, and even if you don't have the ability to do anything about it, we still have the ability to name it. Mm-hmm. We have the ability to say it's not right. Uh, we have the ability to uh, say that we should do better. Yeah. yeah. And, and especially, uh, we were talking about this yesterday in a group that Jay and I ran, is that if the church has no response to this, then what is the church? And that for so many, especially in, in the, the white American church, our response is, oh, that's too bad. And and that, and that's it. And then we hashtag it, and then we move on. And if the and it's and we are afraid of being political in talking about stuff like this. And it is so not political. It is so just people are dying, and that is wrong. And if the church isn't there to save lives, then what is the church? And even more foundationally than that, how do we need to reorient the way we think? Because yes. it's not just two white guys tracking out a jogger it's how we respond when we see people and the judgments that we've come to and and helping reset our own minds that we're not we're not willfully complicit uh in the systemic issues well that's yeah yeah, i I was saying in that group was we need to rework on what we mean when we say oppressed um i was holding 
the <laughs> image of, of this kid getting shot for jogging uh, with these dudes that are carrying AR-15s into a state capital claiming they're oppressed. Um, you know, I, I, I can pretty well tell you who's oppressed sitting here. Uh, and it's not the dudes with the AR-15s. Um, mm. So I, I, I'm with you. I think the church needs to have a an informed, theologically-based discussion about why this is wrong that doesn't trip over the political, oh, you're just being a lefty liberal. No, mm. like, this is real. Uh, there are people being oppressed in very real and tragic ways, and we need to step up and do something about that. On our way out, anything to plug? Things you're watching? Watch The Last Dance. The last dance is pretty rad. Uh, I got a buddy, Chris Hewitt, that has a new Enneagram book coming out this month. Yeah. Oh, Enneagram he's the heads. Enneagram master, too. I love that he's like, you just throwing it down. Oh, my buddy. It's like my friend Rob Bell having to write a book yeah. about God. <laughs> I was going to say, do you it. know him? Yeah, yeah. We used to hang out. I, uh, he and his wife, Felina, are fantastic. No way. She's got, she's got a beautiful book called Mindful Silence. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're a beautiful couple. They, they actually, their ministry headquarters is in Omaha and used to do weekly parasites with them. And, they're super cool people. They're fun on Twitter and Instagram. He was uh, the lead singer of a band called uh, System Failure. <laughs> <laughs> that dude's name's Kyle Benneke. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you if you really if you really want to feel bad about all of this, go on YouTube. Uh, System Failure. Can you see the dead? Yes. Uh, and just allow everything you ever imagined or hoped for me fall by the wayside. Uh, Carl, I've never been in a band. I've always wanted to be in a band. So the <laughs> fact that you were in a band makes me so happy. Can I tell you this? And I don't, I don't know if he listens. So uh, it'll be great. So we were on a Zoom with a, a mutual friend of ours from seminary. Um, I have guitars in the background because like most youth leaders, I learned to play guitar for, youth, uh, for campfire purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend that I've had for 15 years said, hey, Carl, do you play the guitar? Uh, I guess. So I also to his like credit the idea though, you do you do hold that pretty close to the vest. <laughs> uh, I like the, the idea that I can I know hold who knows back. more than three chords who doesn't constantly let people know that they can play the guitar. <laughs> Anything for you, Jay? Uh, Friday nights. Friday night jams still going. Uh, as long as there's a lockdown, uh, 6 p.m. on the Westminster YouTube channel. Uh, I gotta go. It's been wild. Speaking of playing guitar, I keep opening it up to requests, hoping people will be like. Amazing Grace or something that I've played a thousand times before and I have to learn new songs every week. <laughs> I was like, dang it! I didn't want a homework assignment. Uh, so I, I have to hop off and go learn how to play music. Nice. Uh, I, what, are you, what are you watching right now? What are you guys... Are you binging anything? Besides the last, the last dance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Imagination Movers are still reign supreme in our house. I did I, see... I, I will give kudos to the new Jerry Seinfeld uh, special on oh, Netflix. Yeah. He did yeah. a new stand-up special. The first half's really great. He gets into marriage in a way that I go like, I don't think your experience is my experience. <laughs> but the first bit of it is really, really good. Uh, We've been watching um, the show Castle Rock, which is uh, a Hulu show that it's based, it's kind of basically set in the universe of Stephen King, but it's not really based on any particular Stephen King. It's nice. very interesting. I finally finished The Good Place. Oh, yeah. Oh, don't, I haven't... I'm still waiting for the last season to like come on Netflix or something like that. Yeah, I'm still waiting for the last season to come out so you will watch it so we can talk about it on the podcast. Well, anyway, I've been Tyler. I've been Jay. I've been Carl. Hooray! And this This has been been Roughing the the Pastor. Have a great week, everybody. It was pretty close. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for being here, Carl. 
I always wonder how long the trail off is going to be. Like, I think after you have this, how much dead space do you guys actually fill with leftover comments? It's, it's almost a- always going right into the next one or we have to leave. We, we do it like this where we don't have a lot of extra time. That's fair. Like, yeah, who'd have thought Tyler likes to fill up all the time. I'm always riding the roller coaster after the, after the last thing has ended. <laughs> <laughs> all right, friends. Good times. Thank you Wait, when was I supposed to hit record? Uh, now. 